Thank you so much for tuning in and for for listening to WPKN and and for tuning into Mike Jack. I am very excited and honored tonight for for many reasons and to discuss many things uh, and to be joined specifically by Faisal Saleh, the chairman and founder of Palestine Museum U.S., located in Woodbridge, Connecticut, which is about less than 30 minutes or so from this radio station. And, you know, um, Faisal has been on the show a few times already, and so, you know, I'm honored and grateful to be joined by him once again and to be in conversation once again here on Mic Check. Faisal, are you there? Yes. Yes. Uh, Thank you, and uh, it's a great honor for us to be here as well. Uh, we appreciate the opportunity to uh, speak with you and uh, talk to your audience. Yes, and I'm so happy that that you could join me tonight. And you know, like I mentioned, there I, you know, there's so many things for us to talk about, and and we're going to get into all of them, or as many as we can in the next 30 minutes. But you know, I I wanted to thank you again for for joining me tonight on Mic Check and being back on the show, and also. I know that you were recently battling COVID, and so I just wanted to say that you know you, you know I, I hope that you're feeling better now. And I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about about your health and about what you were going through. Yes, uh, I contracted the virus uh, despite being careful for two years. Uh, about uh, ten days ago, I uh, went for um, a work trip uh, to a client conference in Washington D.C. It was a very small conference of about. 16, 18 people. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I, I went on a Monday morning, came back on Tuesday night. By Wednesday, I started feeling bad. And uh, then I picked up some uh, some fever and chills. And uh, by Thursday morning, I tested positive uh, for COVID. And uh, I sought uh, medical uh, treatment immediately. And I was put on... Um, um, medication, antiviral medication right away, and also was given uh, uh, an infusion uh, uh, of um, uh, some sort of um, uh, antibodies, uh, an antibody infusion uh, to fight the virus. And the combination of the two have been really working and um, pretty much uh, uh, recovered, uh, and, and uh, I don't have any symptoms anymore. However, I'm still testing positive for COVID. I do a, an antigen uh, rapid test every day in the morning, and it's still coming up positive. So hopefully it will go away in a day or two. But uh, thank you for asking. Of course, I was concerned when I found out, and so I'm glad that you were able to get treatment so quickly, and and I, yeah. yeah I should... Uh, I should point out also that uh, I was vaccinated and I had uh, one booster uh, and uh, the new strain of the virus doesn't really care about your vaccine, it's, you know, and it, uh, you can still get it even if you're vaccinated. Uh, and, and the peculiar thing about it, it uh, the virus shows up at the last minute in, in the testing. You know, I, I knew I had I had it by the symptoms and how lousy I felt, but my testing was still coming up negative until the very last minute, eventually it came positive. By that time, I knew already. So it's uh, something peculiar about the current strain. It just shows up late in 
the testing process. Yeah, thank you for for sharing that. And it's a good warning to for all of us to to really be as careful as we can. And like you said, you've been very careful as well. And so it's yeah, just there is a there's a big surge going on uh, in the Northeast, particularly in Connecticut, and the testing numbers are really high. And and those numbers don't even include the testing that people do at home. So I think everybody really needs to be careful. Go back to wearing your masks. Uh, in public, avoid uh, gatherings, avoid indoors, indoor activities uh, as much as you can. This is not, uh, this is a serious business and uh, COVID has not gone. It's, it's with us and we need to be careful. Thank you so much, Faisal. And now, um, really briefly, I was wondering, you know, especially for any listeners right now who haven't heard the previous conversations we've had and and maybe are unfamiliar with you and who you are and and the work that you do would you be able to briefly give uh speak about your uh you know a bit about your history um in terms of um being palestinian american um where your your family is from originally and uh and and the work that you do here in in connecticut sure um, first of all, I've been in, in the U.S. Uh, for over 50 years, having uh, come here for the first time uh, in June of uh, 1969. Um, I uh, was born in the West Bank in 1951 to um, a Palestinian family who uh, were refugees at the time. Uh, in 1948, uh, they were forced out of their village, uh, which was called Selama, uh, about five kilometers east of Jaffa. Uh, and uh, at that time, they lost everything. Uh, they lost all their property, all their belongings, and basically walked out with their the shirts on their backs, basically. Uh, and uh, located, relocated in the, in the town of Ramallah area on the West Bank. And at the time, they had 10 children to feed, and I uh, was born three years later as the 11th child. And my parents had the, uh, the challenging task of raising 11 children with no resources. And we initially relied heavily on the rations from the UNRWA, where they would give us uh, flour and rice and then sugar and, and, and other uh, basic uh, ingredients for survival. Uh, but uh, step by step, uh, they managed to um, to raise the family and get them all educated. And uh, I was the youngest, of course. And uh, I came, as I said, to, to the U.S. Uh, over 50 years ago. I, I did one year of high school and then college. And uh, I have been working in business uh, since then. Uh, currently, uh, I, um, I'm the executive director of the Palestine Museum U.S. It's a museum dedicated to uh, Palestinian art and Palestinian history, and it's located in Woodbridge, Connecticut. Um, the museum was founded uh, by me uh, four years ago in 2018, and the mission of the museum is to tell the Palestinian story through the arts. Uh, we, we want to, we want to tell our story. Um, through the works of Palestinian artists who might be in Palestine or in the diaspora. Um, and that's really the uh, mission we, we're trying to accomplish. Thank you, Faisal. And, and, and so I wanted to 
for, you know, first, as as is on many people's minds and has been in, in the news this week, um, I wanted to ask you about Shireen Abu Akhleh, the well-known Palestinian-American journalist who was shot and killed by Israeli forces uh, while reporting on a raid on the Janine refugee camp. I was wondering, you know, especially for anyone who is unfamiliar or, or who was unfamiliar with Shireen before her murder, if you could talk a little bit about Shireen, um, you know, your any personal connections and reflections that you have on Shireen and her work as a journalist. Yeah, uh, I did not have any personal contact with Shireen. Uh, however, Shireen uh, was familiar to all Palestinians and, and, and most people in the Arab world because she had been for many years um, a reporter for Al Jazeera, and uh, she was a very familiar face that people had got accustomed to seeing almost on a daily basis reporting from from the occupied territories, from the West Bank and from Gaza and other areas. Um, uh, she took a lot of risks. Uh, she wanted to get the story straight from the source, and she often... Um, was there uh, with her bulletproof vest and um, with the press written on it and her helmet and side by side with other colleagues from Al Jazeera and camera people and crews. Uh, she would um, uh, report on uh, Israeli um, uh, invasions and incursions into Palestinian areas and raids to apprehend people and uh, and also on uh, Israelis uh, calling Palestinian demonstrations and shooting live ammunition uh, in return for stones that Palestinian children threw at them. Uh, so all these scenes uh, were familiar. Uh, everybody knew who Shireen was. And Shireen Abu Akhle, uh will always be remembered by all Palestinians. Uh, the, the interesting thing to point out is that Shireen is not the only journalist that was murdered by Israelis. They, they murder journalists on a regular basis. There are dozens and dozens of Palestinian press people who have been killed and injured and arrested and humiliated uh, on a regular basis. Uh, the only thing different this time is Shireen was a very big name and she was a big target as well. Uh, and um, the whoever uh, fired the shot, he, that was a deliberate shot. It was a sniper, very precise shot that uh, she was hit in an area below her helmet near the ear, where only a sharpshooter could have done and, and known where to where to aim that uh, that shot. So we uh, obviously we are all devastated uh, by this news. But uh, let let no one think that this is the first time Israel has done this. Israel has been killing and murdering people on a daily basis almost in the West Bank with, with total impunity. Israel can operate and do what they want, knowing that, that they will not uh, suffer any consequences because they are protected by the United States and some European countries, which cover up all the... Um, all the violations of international laws and raise no finger to stop Israel from doing that. And uh, what we've seen in this case, even even when the situation was so blatant uh, that the U.S., the, the position of the United States was so mild and stopped short of, of condemning Israel for what it did. 
Thank you for sharing all that, Faisal. And and I and one one more um, thing, really quick about Shireen. You know, would you be able to speak as well about her? You know, the scenes from her funeral that have been in the news as well, the photographs and the video of what the Israeli occupation forces were were doing to yeah. the, the people at her funeral. Yeah, most most people around the world had seen these gory scenes. Uh, it, it's a scene that have never been seen anywhere in the world, even in the worst areas um, uh, or the worst atrocities were committed. This scene was was something uh, something new to the world uh, that had never been seen before. Um, so, so the Israelis have warned Shireen's family that that they will not allow anybody to. Uh, carry any Palestinian flags and, or raise any flags. Uh, and also they, they will not allow anybody to chant any any slogans or anything. Uh, and they also warned that, that and, and any shows of, of any support, any speaking of the word Palestine or anything like that, uh, that, they, that they, they will not tolerate. And um, as, as the uh, procession uh of the funeral uh, started, uh, there were a number of people carrying uh, the coffin, the pallbearers, surrounded by a large crowd of people. And as they start marching, um, the Israeli police, out of nowhere, uh, attacked uh, the, the marchers uh, and went after them with batons, beating them on the heads and then the bodies and the legs and knocking a lot of them to the ground. And they got as far as the people carrying the coffin, and they started beating them on them. And a lot of these people backed up uh, away from as far as they can, but they were they could not back up anymore. So they used their free arm to to, to hold up the the batons against them, and the uh, other arm to keep up the coffin. Uh, at one point, the coffin looked like it was going to fall to the ground because the person on the corner fell down after it was beaten by the police. And then somebody else jumped in and picked it up and, and propped it. Uh, and this went on for quite a while under the the view of all international media cameras. All the press was watching this gory scene that really um, that there aren't any words that can, that can ex- describe this. Um, uh, this is the bottom of humanity if anybody has ever seen it before. It's not enough that they murdered the journalist. Um, they, they've desecrated her funeral and uh, attacked all the people who were carrying her coffin. Um, so I guess the question we would ask, what threat was that coffin to, to them? And what threat did those people carrying the coffin and marching forward, what threat did they present to the state of Israel? Um, those questions uh, are still posed. No, no, nothing has been answered. And um, I also like to point out that um, the people that support Israel need to understand uh, that by supporting Israel, they're supporting what happened the last few days. They're supporting the killing of of innocent uh, reporters, innocent press people, and the. Uh, and the inhumane acts that they were committed uh, against people in, in, in a solemn funeral. Uh, if their support, uh, they're not 
They're not the ones who are swinging the batons, but by supporting Israel, might as well they could have been doing that. Uh, that that the support to Israel entails supporting these acts of violations of international law and criminal acts against humanity. And those people who support Israel need to understand that they are doing this work indirectly by supporting Israel. And if, if Israel is not talk, speaking for them, let them speak. Let us hear from people who who are not for for this kind of uh, criminality. Um, the silence has been deafening in the U.S. Thank you so much for sharing that, Faisal. And if you're just joining us really quickly, uh, my name is Mike Murley, and the name of this program is Mike Check. And you're, of course, tuned to WPKN 89.5 FM in Bridgeport, um, streaming on the web at WPKN.org, and serving Fairfield, New Haven, and Litchfield counties in Connecticut, and Suffolk County in New York's Long Island. And um, I am in conversation tonight with Faisal Saleh, chairman and founder of Palestine Museum U.S., located in Woodbridge, Connecticut. Faisal, thank you so much for everything you just shared. And um, shifting gears a little bit, today marks 74 years since the Nakba. And I know earlier you spoke about um, 19, you know, your family being forced out of their village in 1948 um, as part of your story and your history and your family's history. Your family's history. And I was wondering if, if you could, because um, today is Nakba Day, I was wondering if you could speak about the Nakba and, uh, and its, its historical significance. Yes, uh, Nakba in Arabic means uh, catastrophe, but it's a word that has been uh, used in the English language now, uh, just like the word intifada has become a uh, common word in the English language as well. Um, you know, it, this is unfortunate that, that the Palestinians are, are expanding the English language with these um, with these sad and tragic uh, uh, terminology. Um, the Nakba really uh, marks the date uh, when Palestine was lost, when the Palestinians lost their homeland and they were exiled uh, as the State of Israel was established uh, on May 15, 1948. Um, what resulted from that is there were 750,000 Palestinians at the time became homeless uh, and they lost everything they've gotten. And instead of them, immigrants from Eastern Europe and other places uh, who came to Israel took over their homes and their houses and their belongings and their furniture and their kitchen utensils and supplies. And the Palestinians were exiled and uh, a lot of them lived in refugee camps. Uh, there are currently still about 40 refugee camps uh, that, that some Palestinians continue to live in 74 years after the exile that, they, that they've had. Um, that injustice uh, that was inflicted upon the Palestinians uh, is yet yet uh, to be addressed. Uh, and Palestinians who were 750,000 in 1948 uh, are now in excess of 10 million and they are located in Gaza, 2 million in Gaza, 3 million in the West Bank, and 2 million inside of Israel itself. Uh, and, the, and the rest are in, in exile in countries like Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, Europe, the, the Americas, and Australia, and parts of Africa. Um, and uh, the Palestinians are determined uh, on returning to Palestine, um, and uh, they are not ready to give up one 
inch of land of Palestine that uh, was served and, and stolen uh, from them in the daylight uh, by, for the establishment of the state of Israel. Shia Palestinians mark uh, this the day that will live in infamy, uh, and that is 1948. Every Palestinian knows what 1948 is, even children as little as three years old, they know what 1948 is. Thank you so much for that history, Faisal, and and that context. Has uh, Palestine Museum US done any special exhibitions or programming um, for Nakba 74? Yeah, well, we do... Uh, uh ongoing programming uh, related to, to that and to Palestinian histories. But uh, specific to this particular event, uh, first of all, the, uh, the Palestine Museum U.S. website uh, has something called the Nakba clock. Uh, it, it's a continuous uh, clock that's, right, that's displayed uh, on our website that shows how, many, how much time has elapsed since the Nakba day and uh, it shows it in years, months, days, hours, minutes, and seconds, and the seconds are ticking all the time. Um, yesterday, that Nakba clock uh, was approaching 74. It was still 73 and 29, uh, 29 days and X number of hours and minutes and seconds. And by, by today now, it's already exceeded 74. So that, that feature, although it is really symbolic, it's really... A, an, an important reminder, not just to us, but to the world, uh, that Palestinians are tracking that time, and they're still counting how many how many years, how much time has elapsed since their land was stolen and they and they were exiled from it, uh, and that that is not something that they are going to forget ever. Um, in addition to that, we had uh, we show films on a weekly basis and. Uh, on Saturdays. Yesterday's film, uh, we had uh, kind of adjusted our schedule to show a film called Janine Janine. Uh, and this film um, is about the uh, Israeli invasion of the Janine refugee camp in 2002, uh, which resulted in the destruction of the camp and the killing and wounding of dozens and dozens of Palestinians in the camp after a long fight with the Israelis who who uh, penetrated the camp with their armor and with their airplanes and and bombed the, bombed the camp the camp for days. Uh, that film uh, is really very, it's a very strong film and uh, was well attended. We had um, a couple hundred people um, attend and watch the film virtually uh, from 30 countries, including many uh, from the U.S. Of course. Um, uh, today, uh, at the museum, uh, we had an event where we hosted students from Bard College uh, who came to the museum to, uh, as part of the programming we had for them, while they watched another film uh, called uh, Promises and Betrayals. Uh, it's uh, about the history of Palestine and uh, what Great Britain uh, and France um, were conspiring to do in the uh, Towards the uh, the second half of World War One, and how they uh, promised the the Arabs uh, independence in return for assisting them in fighting the Ottoman Empire, 
and how uh, those promises uh, evaporated in thin air after winning the war as the um, uh, Great Britain and France um, sat together and, and inked what's called the Sykes-Picot Agreement, by which they they gave themselves control over Palestine, the East Jordan, Lebanon, and, and Syria and Iraq, and simply divided it between the two the two uh, superpowers at, at the time. And uh, as we know, the uh, the Great Britain. Uh, uh, received approval from the League of Nations, which was uh, formed by these colonial powers to endorse uh, Britain's takeover of Palestine under what's called a mandate. Uh, Britain was given a mandate uh, by the League of Nations to, to govern Palestine. Uh, and uh, Britain proceeded to uh, implement what, what what was called the Balfour Declaration to make it easier for Jewish immigration into Palestine and preparing Palestine to be turned into a national home for Jews from around the world with total disregard for the rights of the Palestinians who were living in Palestine at the time. So that film was uh, was shown today, and of course we had a tour for the students to, to visit the museum. Uh, there is a, um, a rally on the uh, New Haven Green at 3, 3 p.m. that I was uh, scheduled to speak at. However, because of my uh, COVID condition, I uh, I opted not to be there in the in, you know in deference to the safety of the people there, so that I would not have an opportunity to transmit the disease to anyone. I stayed away from that event. Thank you so much for for sharing all of that, Faisal. And uh, we're we're coming up uh, with just a few minutes left here. We're running out of time, and. Uh, automation system here at the radio station is going to click over to the next program, the Ralph Nader Radio Hour. And so, um, so would you be able to, um, you know, because because I wanted you to be able to talk about the the recent exhibition um, sure. at the at the uh, let me, yeah I'll take it from you. Uh, yeah, the the museum has recently uh, opened uh, a major exhibition. Uh, in, in Venice, Italy, as part of the 59th uh, Biennale di Venezia. Uh, this is the world's um, most important art event, and it's certainly the most prestigious. Uh, it is the equivalent uh, of being on your country's Olympic team, the equivalent of being nominated for an Oscar. Uh, so the museum uh, has succeeded uh, in securing uh, a spot to create what's called event exhibition. Only 30 of those were uh, were uh, admitted uh, this this uh, round of the Binali. And uh, our exhibit has 19 Palestinian artists, 30 works of art, and a variety uh, of uh, art in terms of paintings, uh, sculptures, uh, installation art, uh, Palestinian embroidery, soaps, and uh, and we have a live olive tree with keys in it from the homes of Palestinian refugees who left their homes in 1948, locked them and took the keys with them. We have some of these keys on exhibit hanging from a live olive tree, which is also a Palestinian symbol. Uh, uh, for uh, our museum, which has been in business only four years, to to reach that height and be accepted to present this uh 
uh, this uh, very important art event has been, been a, really a great success, and uh, we're grateful to all the people who helped us uh, get there. Uh, and we're definitely very proud of this accomplishment. Uh, it's probably one of the few occasions where a, a Connecticut-based museum is able to exhibit such a thing uh, at the Venice Biennale. Thank you so much for that, Faisal, and congratulations. That is, that's a huge achievement. And um, again, Faisal Sala, chairman and founder of Palestine Museum US, thank you so much for joining me tonight on Mic Check and for all the powerful work that you do. And um, really quick before we close out, um, how can our listeners learn more about Palestine Museum US? Yes, uh, go to palestinemuseum.us, palestinemuseum.us. Uh, we're also in Woodbridge uh, on 1764 Litchfield Turnpike. Uh, and uh, just you can contact us uh, through info at palestinemuseum.us. Please uh, say hello to Ralph Nader. Uh, he and I are good friends, actually. We spoke yesterday. 